welcome to Studio Secrets A to Z, and I'm here with Donna Delory, the infamous legendary Donna Delory in her Topanga studio, and we're excited to talk about um, all her upbringing and her entire career from the start to the finish, and I got a lot of great questions, and we're going to play some music, and we're just going to have fun. I forgot to read this morning. I always, like, before I do an interview, I like to read, so I'm, I just feel like my brain is working okay. more, and I'm more articulate, but cool. anyway. So I want to... Um, I don't. I have so many questions for you, but I, I'm gonna. Usually, I start at the, somebody's childhood and go all the way back. But first of all, I want to start where I met you, and it was Clinton Recording Studio in Manhattan, uh, 1991. I was there working with Nuno Betancourt on his first solo album called Schizophonic, and I'm in the room. We're working on some grooves and some new song ideas and stuff. It was very early stages, and I see this girl belly dancing in the hallway. <laughs> Like little things going ching, 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 ching. It must have been a good groove you were working on. <laughs> and yeah. that's that was the moment I met you. And you were just incredible. You had this amazing spirit. And we you came into the room. I think you kind of belly danced into the room and said hello. <laughs> yeah, that was where the, yeah, And I that did. was where it all began, our journey, 1991. Oh, my God. And I remember you were just this mad scientist <laughs> with the sounds and... And I had, I had already been working with producers and everything in the studio. And what you did was like everything that I didn't do. And Whoa. so I just was in awe of also oh. what you did. And of course, Nuno is incredible. So just to I, like hear his was, music. I know. It was just a wonderful beginning to, it was exciting to time. the whole thing. And being in New York, I remember one time you were rehearsing with, um, with um, Madonna for a tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had some real fancy big suite over by the... Um, what was that place? The, the not the Roseland Ballroom. The um, in the West Side, Upper West Side, Seventy Seventh Street. Yeah. Um, anyway, this big fancy huge suite, and you invited me to come hang out, and and I and I would hang out there during the day while you were rehearsing, and then we at night we'd you know, have fun times and do go places and write songs and mess around. But I was going through my uh, sleeping with the enemy phase when I would align everything. Remember, I had that obsession where I had to have like all the pens in a row in a, in the perfect order. That's where I got my nickname Ajax. From, was from that time period. That's I got, incredible. I got over oh. all that, but I remember you coming back and going, "Oh my God, Anthony, what have, what have you been doing here?" <laughs> you know, those those were the times when it was so much fun because, like, all my friends, I would always say, "Oh, come stay, you know, stay with me in my room." And oh, my, it was amazing. that was so much fun. With with my dad would come out and see me, and I remember sharing. I always I always would try to get two beds because you never knew what friend was going to come out and join you. It was culture shock for me seeing you backstage with Madonna for the first time in Washington. Um, you know, I got the royal treatment and I went backstage and I have this vision of these the whole crew with this giant table was eating this massive pile of crabs. <laughs> and it was That like, was the crew table. Yeah, it was yeah. And, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is like the scene. Oh it was, it's like insane." And then I saw all these different pro tools rigs under the stage and mm. then then you took me to the Madonna's dressing room where she was this Sahara desert scene with like frigid refrigerators full of Louis Roder. I mean, it was like, did they have, was there sound on the floor? Yeah, or? there was, yeah, there was, was a, like, it was a themed. I mean, yeah, I think they had, I think you said it took a few days to set that up. And then there was always another one being set up at the next city at that point. I, I yeah. Know. It always takes a few days and there's, you know, there's a, a one person that sets up the dressing room and then there's another person on tour that sets up the hotel room just incredible and it's all about you know at that level i mean her you know her performances are so important and that you know the demands of it i mean she has to feel like she's at home yeah you know or at least at a really good party the physical so. demands of your dancing and singing with her on stage with nikki um 
that's something that, that I was interested in hearing about, like how, what kind of training did you do to, to get in the position to be able to run around like all climb, night long? I, I'm, I'm having this visual right now. I remember this, yeah, this stair that we had to, it was like after running, doing a quick change, running underneath and you're, I think I was even singing at the same time being under the stage, even when sometimes we'd have singing parts we had to do even while we were changing. Sure. Or we change and then sit under there and do our parts. Um, but there was this final, like, to appear up in the set. We had, I had to climb up this, this uh, ladder or something. Oh, wow. And I remember, like, the huffing and puffing and the... It, but the exhilaration that came along with it because your, your brain is releasing all these great chemicals because you're, you're singing with people and with, with thousands of people and people on stage. And you're, you're just at your full potential really but it, just the dancing element of it alone is demanding i remember you, yeah. one time you were doing you had cirque du soleil um on on stage was it somewhere or or on, were some, some shows where there were performers that were like cirque from it was cirque like that yeah and, and it was very acrobatic yeah. everybody's marks were so fine-tuned that if somebody was like in the wrong place they could get hit or hurt oh absolutely i mean that happened to me one time like madonna had walked out of place maybe one step and her microphone went into my mouth oh my gosh chipped my tooth wow and you know when you feel your your tooth is chipped (laughs) with your tongue oh man it feels so much bigger than it actually is and i remember being on stage smiling (laughs) and for all these people going my chip is my my tooth is chipped and i could feel the piece oh my and she grabs me and she's like i'll pay for it What I mean, I just what are an you okay? Of course, she was like, "Are you okay?" You know. Well, what an incredible oh uh, career and, and life, and I guess I need to rewind a little bit and go from where I was planning to start from. And I wanted to hear about your growing up in Los Angeles. Your dad was a very famous musician, Al mm-hmm. Delori, um, a renowned record producer, um, produced some of the coolest records ever, like um, Blindman for the County and with Glenn Campbell. I mean, I so what was your childhood Lyman, yeah. like growing up in that atmosphere, being around all those people? And I'd love to hear all about that. Wow. Well, I have memories of, you know, my dad, we were always with my dad on the weekends because my parents split up when I was around four. So we would, I remember going into Capitol. He probably was doing sessions. So we would be there for the session briefly, but we would go up to the, the storage room where they had all the 45s and all the albums and everything. And I just remember the smell of all those records. What would you call that room where oh they keep gosh. all the product? Yeah, it's like a, a vault where the vault. Yeah, and I could run and my dad would be like, I don't know if he said we could or not, but I would pull out 45s and everything. And I remember Apple, the, yeah, the sure. Beatles records, because they were wow. being distributed. The smell Apple of vinyl. Apple through, I guess, Capital. Yeah. The smell right. of vinyl and the paper and the whole thing. And um, just, it was it was just magical. And the weekends were so fun with my dad anyway. Yeah. So we would be in the studio with him. I remember many times falling asleep under a console yep. and looking up and seeing my dad producing at the desk. Or I have so many great memories of my dad uh, with string, arranging strings in those sessions with a bigger group. That's and so incredible. now when I do a live string session, I did one this week for a, a new song. It's so magical to me. So it's like that... Also, with the smell of the studio, the sense memory of it all. And I wanted to talk about in this, too, because I'm reading this book right now. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but written by the bass player, Wooten. Uh, Tony Levin or not? Well, Victor Victor Wooten. Victor Wooten. And he talks about how music 
is a spirit in itself. It's the spirit that is with you, you know? So that's really what I felt like. The spirit of music was always with me, and it was this connection with my dad, and it was just magical, and how could I not want to do that? I mean, you had to, it was like you just fell into it in, in a magical way. When did you start singing um, and playing piano and stuff? At what age? So my sister had started doing jobs because my dad worked with the Jimmy Joyce singers. Jimmy Joyce was a vocal contractor, and he knew everyone, all the singers that did all the sessions. And my dad would hire them to do backgrounds. So at one point, my dad knew that they hired kids or they probably went to the producers and said, you got any kids that can sing? Because they knew the kids were used to being in the studios. So my sister started, and she did Lost Horizons, that movie. Um, there was a movie called Oh, Dad, Poor Dad. or something. I just remember all these things she did and hearing them. And my sister was like a star. She did la, 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 la. That's incredible. Yeah, she did That's one massive. of those voices, which I can hear her on that recording. Oh, my goodness. Because I used to listen to that, and I watched her at the Hollywood Bowl with the Carpenters and everything, and, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. Of course you so do. So a yeah. sister who was eight years older, you know, I got to sit there while she was having her voice lessons and everything, and it was like, given, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But I was really, really young, and I kept saying, can I go audition for that guy? Can I do the commercials? <laughs> and so finally the guy had an audition, and I remember... It was in the 70s and the blue shag carpeting and the Hollywood Hills home. And we went in there and I was so shy. I remember my head was like, I was looking at the ground. And I remember he was trying to get me to put my chin up so he could hear me sing. Painfully shy, but I had such a um, desire to do it at the same time. So he hired me on a dog food commercial. I think I was eight and we had the teachers there. So I got to get out of school. Yay. that was fun um so you know you have your tutor there and i had to go get a work permit downtown and the whole thing so that started i started doing sessions and then then it was this whole thing where you had to go to their school and learn how to sight read and learn how to play the recorder so you could be more of a professional and and work more with this group with the vocal contractors that's incredible yeah so i did so many things i did psa gives you a lift and Kodak pocket camera all along. You'll see McDonald's. I mean, we did like all these That's huge insane. accounts. Nuts Berry Farm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what age Super were you fun. at when you finally realized that your dad was working with all these legends like the Carpenters and Glenn Campbell? I mean, did, at some point you must have gone, oh my gosh, my dad is like this like rock star. I mean, does, does it, what, does it well, hit you all at once or is it just, you're so used to it. It just gradual. Just, well, my dad was always different than the other parents. He would pick me up in his two forty Z and a tie dye bell bottom outfit with platforms. <laughs> <laughs> so it was yeah. already like, my dad was kind of like, okay, you know, a studio musician, dude, producer, he yeah. was kind of in his own category and all his friends were like that too. Yeah. Um, but going, you know, being backstage at the Universal Amphitheater when it was outside and Paul Williams, he was working with Paul Williams doing arrangements and I don't know, just being in these, um, exciting environments, you know, it was, it was just a thrill and going to my dad's like previews of movies that he scored. I love this memory of sitting next to my dad while he's scoring with the pencil and I can smell it, you know, like I sat right next to him. He's yeah. at his piano scoring. And he was scoring a, a movie called Jory with Robbie Benson. And I actually put the melody of that. It's just like this melody is embedded in my 
consciousness, wow. you know, and in my subconscious. And I put it at the end of my song, Piano Man, that I wrote about oh, my dad. It's just like, that was my dad's melody. And I was there when he was writing it and playing it on the piano. Oh, and goodness. so it was exciting, but it also like, it just touched my soul so deeply. And that back to that spirit of music, it, it just like, it just touched me. And I got to use it, you know, being a real sensitive and emotional kid. It's like I got to then use music as a tool, as we all did sitting in our rooms, listening to our record players. Yeah, it's, you know? it stays with you forever. And it's, you can smell things, you can taste things. It's, it's just like, there's that uh, Seals and Cross song, you know, they go, summer breeze makes me feel fine. You know that one? Exactly. It's like, I'm instantly in the eighth grade and I instantly like smell my room. It's like, isn't it incredible? Yeah, it's like, that's the power of music really fascinating it is absolutely so you did you know all the way up through that um era and at some point you started writing your own songs uh, obviously and because you ended up going to london and getting a record deal maybe you can tell us the transformation into a teenager and you know starting to write your own music okay so i was listening you know i grew up listening to patsy klein linda ronstadt um you know not it wasn't too much country. I mean, my dad was a part of a lot of country re- country records, so I grew up with that influence, but Linda Ronstadt. And then once Pat Benatar came out, it was like, okay, I want to be her. <laughs> and I could sing like that. Heartbreaker! You know, I could yeah. do that. And my dad started kind of producing me like that. Demos on me when I was a teenager. Wow. But we were all over the place. Then my dad would be writing with this guy in the Hollywood Hills who was like more of a... You know, some of those lyrics were very adult. Yeah. That I could not relate to. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. You know? And, but I was like my dad's demo singer. And uh, we did all that. Then we moved to Nashville. So it was kind of natural that I would go to Nashville and I would try to break into country music. And we also were into gospel. You know, at a young age, I wanted to talk about, you know, I was reading um, books about positive... positive affirmations, the power of positive thinking. And I was into, you know, spirituality and Eastern philosophy, like really young. And my dad and I went to a church that explored all of these concepts and philosophies and everything. So we moved in, when we moved to Nashville, we started doing kind of country gospel. But the thing is at night, really my passion was like dancing and new wave music. So I would be, my dad would go to bed and I'd be like in our music room putting on Human League <laughs> and being like, don't you want me, baby? Yeah. You know, and I love that stuff. Of course. So I was so torn because yeah. I loved that. The only place I could dance was this place called The Warehouse, which was the one gay club in Nashville then. And I went out. I can't even believe I did this. It was like kind of in a seedy area. And my dad let me do this. Like I was a teenager. I'd go out late at night and go dancing so I could just dance to this music. And that was the time you know, the technology was really taking off in music with, you know, all, all these, you know, the MIDI and the, you know, the, the drum machines and the, the whole, that whole era of music production oh God, was yeah. incredible. New you know, wave, yeah. all that stuff. So to hear those records, I mean, you had to be in a club like that with that sound system. So, so then I was really torn, you know, and, and ultimately I was in a guy's office. His name was Tony Brown, ended up being, I know who he is. Very yeah, famous record producer. yeah, a big he played with Elvis and everything. He was a big country producer. And, and he was like, Donna, you're too L.A. for Nashville. You got to go back. <laughs> go back to L.A. because you're an L.A. kid. You know, he's like, you're never going to really fit in here. Wow. That was before Shania Twain. And, and yeah. 
Taylor Swift and everything. That's incredible. So it was like... That uh, must have been a little bit hard, huh? It was hard. Yeah. You know, but I needed to kind of be on my own and everything. So I came back to L.A., started, I mean, really, like, talk about sleeping on studio couches and really struggling because I was on my own. Everyone thinks would say, oh, your dad's a producer. He can help you. It's like, not really. The business had changed. Yeah. I was in a whole different... Sure. I mean, I wasn't country. It was a different era completely. It was a different town. Um, I was studying acting and dancing and singing and piano and everything. And I was just... I had all the energy in the world. Incredible. And that was like late teen years. And really, I mean, just, you know... Running, I would get jobs at studios and run out and get coffee for people just to be around music people. I ended up, I was splicing tape at a publishing company. I remember the reel-to-reel tapes that I'd have to splice the, I don't know, because I'd have to put the songs together for reels when they're pitching songs. And then I'd have to try to like go after all these producers and pitch songs and all that. And then I realized I don't want to do that. Like I want to be an artist. I want to be more in the creative part, music part of it. So... Start singing demos and 50 bucks a demo. Wow. And that was like, sometimes it was even 25. I I was working a lot for Motown, um, the Gordies, you know, and a lot of like publishing houses in LA I would work for. But then I'd also get random calls from people because they'd hear about me and they'd be like, "Uh, my name is Buck and I'm out (laughs) in uh, Valencia or wherever. And he's like, I got a song. It's half written, but uh, we come out here and start singing it and I can pay you 50 bucks and everything. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's what I did. And that's how I, I had like waitress jobs and everything else. I did that until I got enough demos. I was singing enough demos. I started doing some maybe commercials, breaking back into, breaking back into a little bit of that like LA yep. singer, studio. you know, studio scene. Never got really fully into it, but got some jobs, got some residuals and things. And then I had done... Uh, my boyfriend at the time, Gardner Cole, had written the song Open Your Heart. He was also a Warner Brothers artist, so I was singing on his albums and everything and wow. working with him. And he had pitched it to the Madonna's management and Madonna um, with his voice on it because he was a singer and an artist and everything, and they turned it down. So it was months later, they were like, let's put Donna on this. We went into this nice studio, did my vocal. I remember double tracking it. I remember, let me go up on this note. Open your heart to me. You know, just try something different. Yeah. And put Incredible. my own. I mean, it was really, it was their song, but, you know, I kind of put my thing into it thinking it was going to be my song that I was going to put on my demo tape and get a yeah. record deal. But that didn't work out because she ended up taking the song and doing it. And, and it was a huge hit. As we all know, it was a huge hit. But it's, oh, it's another song that, like, I'm realizing now, this is a song that's an important part of the soundtrack of my life. Absolutely. And, um, and as, as well as, you know, he wrote, Gardner wrote a lot of other great songs that actually helped me when I got my first record deal. They were on my demo tape. Um, didn't end up on my album, but it was a really great song, and it got me the introduction to Pat Leonard, which got me the introduction to Madonna. So that's how it all fell into place. Yeah. And wow. meeting Pat, I mean, he was so brilliant. He was so successful at that time and productive. And he was like producing everyone. He's just an incredible genius. He's a genius. And he would hire me. I was like his new favorite singer. Amazing. So I'd get to do his own personal demos that he, 
he wrote. I'd sing all those. I'd sing with Fee Wable on his record, Carly Simon, Christopher Cross. I used to sing backgrounds with Richard Marks. Unbelievable. Um, and like wow. anyone he would do. And that continued on for years. I worked with Pat. He'd always call me in on all Madonna's records. But That's then, how you met Tim Pierce because Tim Pierce was doing a lot of stuff for Patrick at the time. And then they eventually formed Toy Matinee, which was an incredible project. Yeah. And I was always there. I was always around the studio That's or visiting Pat. We were, so we how did it turn into touring with Madonna? How did that transition happen? So I was telling Pat, like he hadn't seen me dance and perform and everything. I was like, Pat, you know, I've studied dance since I was a kid. I mean, I'm, I am a dancer too. And he's like, oh, forget it, Donna. You know, she, I think, saw the stage production of Little Shop of Horrors and wanted those girls. Like, it was a very specific concept. The three girls, they were African-American, different sound and everything. That's, the, that's what she wanted. So he's like, it's not going to happen. So I, get, I kept going. Then the next week, I'd be at the session again. And I'd be <laughs> like, so what's going on? You know, he's like, nope. They still, you know, it's all working out. It's going in that, that direction. So... All of a sudden, I'm at home. It's a hot summer day. I get a pan- panicked phone call from him saying, "What are you, Donna, what are you doing? So when Pat asked me what I'm doing, of course, I'm like, nothing. What? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what, are you going to be around later? Yeah. He said, well, there's a chance you may come in and meet Madonna because she may need to, it looks like we're going to have to replace one of the girls. So I was like, great. So right away, I was like, okay, pick out my outfit. I've got to get my hair done. I did like, I just styled myself. Like, I'm going to go really opposite her. I'm going to go Spanish, dark hair, dark red lips, light skin. Um, I I just did it up. And I was sitting by, it was one of those really hot summer days. And my makeup was running down my face because it was so hot. So I had one of those wall units. So I was sitting right there with my face in front of the wall unit. And they call back and they're like, well, she decided she wants every singer in LA to come audition. It's an open call audition now. So I was oh like, goodness. okay. So it was at, I think it was like, I feel like it was Lee's. It was a rehearsal studio in, felt like it was Burbank or something. And I remember the loft was just filled with singers. Oh my goodness. And so they were like, okay, everybody, the band was down there. It was this incredible band, you know, and they're all set up and they're on a break. We come walking in, all singers go up to the loft and wait up there. And I kept peeking over the loft, and I'm like, where's Madonna? Where's Madonna? You know? Yeah. And I see this, like, little person come in with, like, <laughs> a little suit and these little, like, John Lennon glasses and short hair. And but the, and I'm like, I don't see Madonna. I'm, okay, who's that? And all of a sudden, I hear this voice come out of this person. And I was like, that's her. Definitely her. She's wow. like, when are we starting? <laughs> and uh, let's get going here. So got the band in and started taking us in groups of three. The song that they picked, first, unfortunately, because it's a unison part that three girls have to do together, which is uh, La Isla Bonita, which is, ah, ah, that part. And it was like our group was flat. I mean, it was so, oh, my God, I finally made it this far, and our group is flat, and they're louder than me, and she's just like, what? You know? Oh, no. This isn't happening. So... Pat Leonard is like, stop. Okay, Donna and Madonna sing the bridge, just you two together. So thank God I knew the bridge. Because my friend Bruce Geich had also written the bridge. Wow. So it was, you know, sang that bridge with her. And it was magic. And she was not facing me. And she was like, why aren't you singing? 
something like that. And I was just, I mean, what do you, what do you say when you were singing, but she says you weren't. And, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. And Pat said she was singing. She doubles you perfectly. Bam. And that was a moment. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, will you sing on all my records then? Yeah. And I said, do I have the job? So then the next day, there was this whole, you know, they had all been already working with her. Yeah. So there was this whole like tribe yeah. in place. And I'm like the new person. So they're all like, the dancers are coming up to me, this guy Shabadoo. It's like, so can you dance? And he's like, well, come tomorrow. We'll see if you can dance. You know? Unbelievable story. Yeah. Wow. And you showed and them I could. you could dance and bam. And then the next thing you know, you're in truth or dare. <laughs> right. And then it's years later. And or, or really like, you know, we did that tour and then it just naturally evolved that Nikki Harris, another great singer, artist in her own right and everything. She sings a lot of jazz and gospel and dance music. Um, she was developing as her own artist and I was too. And Working with Madonna helped us a lot. It gave us a lot of confidence and empowered us in a big way sure. as performers. So then there we were, really. I think about the moment of the MTV Awards we did with her when we were doing Express Yourself. Yep. And there was this like ultimate, like the three girls singing that lyric together. It's an iconic performance, too. And there we were. Now, we were rehearsing with her, and we were all kind of collaborating on it. You know, it was like we were taking all of our girl energy, energy. friend, girlfriend energy and being like, let's have an attitude and let's really get our point across in this performance. And, and it was magic. So we had, you know, starting out being that person, you know, I was like that new person. And then being in there and being able to be collaborative and creative and be part of these iconic performances. And then that went on and just like reached new heights of performing. And I knew in those moments, I knew when I, the work was so great, but also looking out at the audience, I, they were peak moments. And I was, I could say, I was really conscious in the moment of how great it was. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can hear your voice in some of the recordings in the backgrounds because I've worked with you so much over the years. Yeah. I mean, it, there's so there's a lot of you. Like, in, in, like, what are some of the, your favorite songs that you sang in the, in, in the studio that people could I mean, Vogue was like yeah. with, yeah. it was Nikki and I and, and, D, and Dia Davenport. Okay. Um, and we worked, I mean, we were working with... Um, Shep Pettibone and sure. you know it was like a new producer and it was every time we go in the studio on a, on a record it was like a new creative team yeah. so that was super fun That's and amazing. we were hearing that sound for the first time like and Ray of like, Light he kind of brought house music into the forefront of the mainstream like yeah so, yeah like he, he created a whole uh, revolution oh my god he and was he, incredible he, he was on fire incredible Those and when we went in to work with um William Orbit. I had always heard his records on KCRW, oh and I loved him. And I was always taking notes like, you know, you pull over, what was that record? I'm going to go to the Virgin Record Store and buy it. And then walking into the session to sing, and he's there and with all these computers. All these guys were at computers. Yeah. And, and I stuff. wish I could remember the he, studio. He was big in modular synths, too. He would, would run his guitar through, like, modular synths and stuff like that. He was like the Korg MS-20. I remember, like, on Beautiful Stranger, for example. Oh, my gosh. The sounds of those guitars. And I mean, that has a huge influence on me at that time. I wanted to know everything about what he was using and what he was doing. Because when I heard that stuff, it was kind of like where I was trying to get to. And then all of a sudden I heard it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is the guy, you know? So it really influenced me as well during that period. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like Beautiful Stranger, especially uh, Ray of Light, of course. 
Oh my God. I went into that session and they, I remember the first time they played that track. It was like, it was so sweet because she was so proud and she's like, play them the track. You know, it's like that pride and yeah, also yeah. we were going to sing on it. So they put it on the big speakers. You must have just been And like... it was pumping. It was the song, Nothing Really Matters. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, Nikki and I were always trying to do like our belting parts. You know, she's like, well, I want you to do this chorus, but later on we'll try your part too. So then at the end we end up doing nothing. It's like nothing really matters. Um, and doing our, you know, we just love to do our belting cutting part. And that's at the very end, like fade out of the record. But it was super fun. Um, it, you know, great memories, great, great creative team there you know oh my gosh i mean it doesn't get better than that that's just insane mm -hmm. all those awards shows and all the, the traveling i mean how many times did you go around the world with her i don't know and when i was doing my own record as well it was like i went you know i kept going to uh, japan a lot because i had a number one over there and then i did 93 i did another tour with her when i had a my own record out so i was doing my promo oh wow so i was like flying around and flying back Total to do setter. her thing and and those were the days, I mean, maybe they stopped having smoking on airplanes then, but I remember all I wanted to do was fly, <laughs> you know, like late 80s, early 90s, and with smoking on airplanes. Like, what? You know? Like, that's how bad I wanted to, like, be traveling around the world. And now, I mean, it's like, I've done so much of it. You know, it's like, okay, what class am I in, you know? I don't know, a lot a lot more picky, but it was nice to be so flexible then and just stare out the window and be like, we're flying over Russia now. You incredible, know? just incredible. And that was about the, at the period, I think, like around 93, 94, when you and I somehow, I don't even remember how we decided to try working together. I, I just, you ended up coming to Boston mm -hmm. and recording in our, our big mill space up in Chelmsford. And we had- That the, place was incredible. We had the best time. It, was... it had such a great vibe. Well, I remember staying at your house with your mom. Yeah. And you were you took me to the bookstore. And you and were like, Sexton. I'm going to get you into these these uh, poets. Anne Sexton, Sylvia, Sylvia Plath. Plath. So I got into all this poetry. And then we were like, oh, we have to do a song where we put that in the song and everything. So I was working with, with Cameron Stone. That's right. And, and I had... Love Never Dies was the first track that you sent me on a cassette. And I did that sci-fi mambo version of the, the, you know, when he had the candles burning and, and I was the Moog and all that stuff. And we kind of, that was like the very first thing I did with you. And, and I was in a position of being really experiment, experimental because I had had my big, big record deal, whatever, didn't have the huge, huge hit single to be able to really do a second record. But although I was developing material for that, and I was getting more and more eclectic and more and more into back into the belly dancing thing, I was studying belly dance, I was into world music, I was into all these different rhythms, and it was just becoming part of my artistry, and the record company was just like, what? <laughs> Scratching their heads. And I don't know, I just, just had this, into this world wonder. music yeah. band, Incredible. and that's what I, I was following my heart, and then I didn't get to do another record with them, but then I got to get my, they had to pay me off to let me out of my deal, so I went to Guitar Center, and I bought a studio, and I bought a 88 key Fender Rhodes yep. and a drum and an ADAT machine. And then I started making my own music. And that's where Love Never Dies came out of that. Okay. And then you, right. I feel like I was just more, we'd both, you know, we're just gone more in that kind of eclectic Sure, direction. Love Never Dies was another track we worked on together that I love. 
Well, that's great. And then you, and then as I wrote songs down the line, I'd always, there was a song called Fade in Time that, that you one. helped me with. And you always like brought that dark edge yeah, to the like, songs. Yeah, I was that baritone guitar, like through, through a, like a, like William Moore, but through a filter. Yeah. And then the bass player came in and we distorted the bass playing those. Yeah, that's a, I love that track. Eighth notes. And, oh my God, it's such a cool track. I have so, like an eight minute version of it somewhere. I mean, I have, I have some really great um, B-sides uh, that nobody's ever heard. We have to like... We have to, let's get those out. Maybe even for yeah. this, we could play yeah, a little snippets. Yeah, we could stick a couple of snippets in for sure. I know exactly where they are. I've been saving them. Uh, the the I, journey I, of making music, you know, I feel like if I meet, if I meet, you know, new artists, young artists, and they're like, I have to make it and everything. And I'm, and I'm always like, my message to them is like, it's about the journey, really. Sure. Because that's what's going to, you're, the, how you grew as an artist and all the people you were around, those magical moments are what are going to really fulfill you, knowing you did great work. The journey is the reward, really. I that mean, you're proud of. That's, yeah. that's an, a great advice because nowadays with the, the social media and the, the, the need for like followers and likes, everything is so like data driven that it's real easy to get wrapped up in stuff that really doesn't have to do with like your, your inner passion you know you know it's very easy i mean you know i know you know so i think that's wonderful advice um at that time we were doing collaborations with mac quail too because yeah. mac would do like mixes and add uh, parts and mac went on to be one of the most successful tv composers in hollywood with american horror story and stuff like that and oh my gosh he does a, so many shows he's like the hans zimmer you know he's yeah. got like all these people that work for him that yeah, are incredible that yeah. are helping him with the cues. We have to get, get him on, on the, the Oh, podcast. he would love it. I know. It would be great to have him. He just bought my second. I, my, it was the first harmonium I ever bought. And he bought it. And he had borrowed it forever. Finally, I was like, you should just buy it from me. So it's it's called Paul and Company. It's kind of like the Mercedes of harmoniums. And it's if you guys don't know what a harmonium is, I play one on a lot of my music. It's a reed keyboard. Um, it's kind of the original synth. So it's kind of modeled after the pump organ. Right. So the air is going through and vibrating the reeds and creating the different tones. So I guess the missionaries brought it to India and then they start doing chants on it and everything. So now we're using it, like Max using it on his film scores and everything. That's so he so cool. sent me some cues with the strings that he scored with the harmonium, like mixed in there. It sounds incredible. That's so cool. And I you use that on the La Machine de Rev, which is a project. Um, that we've, you know, kind of been developing and over the years. It's incredible. Done a yeah. lot of great music. So, La yeah, Machine de Rev is yeah. such a great collaboration. And I just, I posted on my story today that um, clip of us from the video for, Temporary? for the song Temporary. That track is a masterpiece. It really it's is. a masterpiece. I mean, we all just like like each other and get along so well, you know, and so it's fun to hang out yeah. just to start there. That track and started then, on Greg's... Uh, a nylon string guitar, which is a big part of the sound of Machine to Rev. Um, which I love. I love yeah. nylon string guitar. Yeah, no, it's so cool. Yeah. We'll have to put a snip or two of that in. And we have a brand new song we're working on, too. So there's a lot of good things coming. You know? Yeah, which we, we were trying to, you know, keep our spirits up with, like, a danceable track. And Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's really fun. I'm excited fun. about that one. Tell us a little bit more about some of the things, you know, the festivals and all this, like, um, meditation yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. That whole part of your life that you've kind of been go moving along at the same time with. Yeah, I was always into, you know, studying meditation, visualization. Um, I was on a, you know, path for my own health early on because my mom had died when I was 16. My dad and I moved to Nashville, and I started going to the—I worked at the vegan restaurant there— 
and I start going to the health food store and and um and I just got into that scene. Lifestyle. Those were like my people. I don't know. Like when I moved back to LA, that was my saving grace. Was like there was a um Kundalini the Kundalini Sikh community in LA had a restaurant called Golden Temple. That was like where I used to hang out. And then so it was really interesting. I became a macrobiotic. It was it was a lifestyle. It was a conscious living lifestyle. That's before you know, there was a yoga center on every corner. Right. And meditation was mainstream. And this is before meditation apps and everything. So I started really studying yoga when I was 18. Um, just, I, I was aware of it. You know, I, I ended up getting really into the dance scene and leaving the yoga behind and the breath practice and everything and coming back to it later. Um, I was in a yoga class one day and this music was playing. It was world music. And I just thought, I want to do music like this. Like it just, while I was doing yoga, I don't know, it's such a tool for me. I'm just one of these people that when I meditate and do yoga or even when I'm in the sauna or a lot of times walking in the mountains, I'm hearing there's music that's Rhythm. that's taking me on this journey. So I love music like Peter Gabriel and Robbie Robertson and you know people that have really like explored world music in, in a deep way and different instruments and tones and scales and everything from around the world Even so from a percussion standpoint um all the things that you got into like really affected me like seeing you know jay bellrose with all those little bells around his ankles and all that stuff like you opened up a huge door like the, the and quinn quadrants uh what, yeah. are, what are some of the other instruments that... and um just i was always drawn to percussionists and drummers that were playing like tablas and you know backward back when i didn't know what those were but i'd be like incredible yeah i want that on my record i remember my pop record i was in england making it stephen Hegg, the producer who produced like pet shop boys and susie and the banshees and everything so he was pretty like pop dance mainstream i was saying to him i want those i brought in world records with tablas on it and i'm like can we put this on my record and he's like, you got to have a pop hit. You know, he tried to discourage me. He's like, after you have the pop hit, you can do that. Yeah. Well, so. you really influenced me over the years with all that stuff. Um, I, I just love those those rhythms and studying and learning about them. There's like, they do a lot of things in like 11 and 13. And I know. It's just so fascinating to me. And, and Cameron became my, um, a cellist that yeah. I met along the way, became my musical partner. We were writing songs in... 11, I mean, whatever it was, I didn't even know. I mean, I, I relate to songs by either the rhythm or the, um, the, the melody and the phrasing of the, of the melody and the vocal. Yep. So he would always just be doing all these wacky things at the time signature underneath what I was singing. He's amazing. Which was yeah. super fun. I've, we've been working together like 20 plus years. He plays on a lot of my productions. He's just yeah. incredible. He comes in and just like in two hours just loads the track up with like so much stuff your head spinning. He's just an amazing musician. Uh, yeah, and, and a lot of times when you find a musician like that, it's like you. It's it's not about playing one instrument. It's that you are just, your musicality comes through in anything you're doing. You know, it just flows and you're, I'm just, I don't know, I'm drawn. I've always loved to be around great musicians. Well, thank and, you. And um, it just feeds me. Ironically, I didn't end up being with a musician in you know, I'm married to actually a physician, yeah. scientist. Yeah. So, um, happy. really, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, there you go. 
I'm uh, so, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's just, just me so safe. wonderful, and I'm so excited about our ongoing journey together, and and the things that we've done together, and the things that you do on your own, and La Machine to Rev, and all this. It's just an exciting time to be making music. I think it's it's really cool to to keep keep the the, the story going. You know, it's like how long have we now we've been doing this to you know together? What you I. It's 1991, so I don't want to do that. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I feel like just, like, I go back to that. It's about the journey. Yep. You know, and I think about those times collaborating with you guys and being in the studio with Cariotti and those memories of being in Boston and everything and being able to be an artist and to be able to, like, actually express and get it manifested. Yeah. Into into sound form where I can put thinking, it out into the. I think world. your positive thinking, like that you did as a kid, um, is part of the reason why it, it's all worked out for you. I mm-hmm. mean, if you think about that. That's a, a lesson for, for for me. I mean, I I, I, t- I tend to be sometimes you know not as positive as I should be, and I think you know you've always been an inspiration to me for that, and you've always been there for me through difficult times and stuff. I really appreciate you so much, and it's been wonderful have you on thank you so much and i'm and i'm exploring new concepts and and things in my life of like you know after being out there and we talk about this a lot like pushing pushing make things happen to to receive and now with the way music is like a song my dad used to say they have legs yeah the songs can like they just move and they end up somewhere yeah so you just make great music and all of a sudden it's on someone's playlist there you go and um and it's well, out some in the of the world, fans that show so. up at your shows, I mean, they know every word to, mm. to every every song, and they've been following you, you know, for years. Different. Oh, was I banging on my leg there? Sorry about that. There's there's it's a, a woman who who comes to like every one of my shows, and she is a massive fan, of course. And she, for a long time, was only listening only listening to my music, twenty four seven. Wow. Like a lot of those streams are her, you know. Wow. And I said to her, you got it. Let, let me turn you on to some other people. Like, okay, it has to kind of be my friends, you know? So she'll listen to our music. That's great. And, but I always feel like I got to keep making more music. Well, got to do it for Jen. Excited for the future. And Yay. excited to do more stuff with you. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you, guys. To be continued. Yes. This is Studio Secrets, A to Z, signing off with Donna Delory. And it was a really fun episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.